Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Let me read God's Word and we'll get to work. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And we pick up in his letter to them in verse 15. He is speaking of Jesus Christ and of His supremacy in all things. He, Jesus that is, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, uh, we, we pray your blessing upon us. We pray your hand upon us in showing us Christ, showing us uh, his supremacy, his glory, and spurring us on towards steadfastness in his gospel. Lord, we can do none of these things apart from your supernatural hand at work. So we ask this. Christ, show us yourself. Show us your glory. Show us for the sake of your church. We pray this in his name. Amen. This morning we are going to do two things. By God's grace. We are going to marvel at the total supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. We're going to marvel at the total supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. And by God's grace, because of that, we are going to resolve to remain steadfast in Jesus' absolute sufficiency for us in the gospel. So we're going to marvel at Jesus Christ's total supremacy in all things and then resolve to remain steadfast in the absolute sufficiency of Christ for us in the gospel. It might be a little wordy, but I'm a little wordy. So um, let's unpack this in this text. So first, we want to marvel at his total supremacy. If you look with me at verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae because he had heard troubling reports that the church uh, was essentially wavering in their faith 
in, in, in believing that Christ alone was sufficient for spiritual life, in believing that Christ alone was, was worthy of all of their, of their worship and of their adoration. So Paul writes this letter to respond to that, and the way he does is by exalting Christ before them and showing them that there is no other that can stand in His glory. So he's the image of the invisible God. He tells the Colossians that the God who is invisible, the God whom you cannot see, Jesus is the full revelation of Him. He is not a revelation of Him. He is not one of the revelations of Him. He is the full and complete and solo revelation of God. So he says, Paul says, you want to see his nature, you want to see his character, you want to see his attributes, you want to see God summarily visualized and exemplified the fullness of God before you look at Jesus. He is the one fully supreme, fully reigning, the one, the image of the invisible God. This is important for the Colossians to get. They're wondering, are there other gods, other spiritual forces that might be at play? as well. So he's the image of the invisible God. And next, he's the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Now this does not mean, thinking, when we think of somebody's born, we think, okay, there was, there was a time they entered into existence, and before that there was no existence. This is not what Paul is getting at here. So what Paul is referencing is that Jesus has the position and privileges that would be given to a firstborn son in, in the time and culture of, of Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. So, if, so, so a firstborn son would be entitled to, would be due uh, inheritance and power and privilege and honor that, that would come directly from the father of that firstborn son. So Paul is really saying the God that created all of this, Jesus is the image of him, and Jesus is in total reign with him. He is the firstborn over all of his creation. And so Paul further illustrates this picture by just continuing on. Uh, the, the supremacy of Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. And then verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. As we marvel at the supremacy of Jesus, let's take a moment to get a taste of the striking reality of the fact that all things were created by Him. Paul is very intentional in his language, okay? So all things created by Him, not some, all. Jesus is not one of the representations of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, over all creation. The these and alls are really important in this passage. Because they all point to Christ and His total supremacy. So let's consider, let's, let's think through, let's, 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 let's examine some of the things in creation in which He is over. If all things were created by Him and for Him. And all things were created by the word of His power. Consider the breathtaking grandeur of the Grand Canyon with its layered bands of of red rock climbing up its mighty walls and deep deep valleys carved by the Colorado River. And say you get to the precipice overlooking as much of the Grand Canyon as you can, no matter what way you turn your head, it is all breathtaking, all 
spoken into existence by Christ. There's remote islands in the South Pacific, some of which perhaps no man has ever visited. High mountains shoot up out of the ocean, gorgeous beaches, beautiful trees, intense vegetation, native animals there, all testifying to the power of the one who spoke it into existence. There's a vast tundra in mountainous regions of Siberia where little animals scurry along, rivers and streams flow, snow falls, and all across it, thousands of miles with no one in sight. This does not mention rainforests, deserts, high mountains, great plains, or anything else across the world and across this creation that we see that testifies to the power and the wisdom of Jesus, the Creator. There's the unsettled, dark, vast, rough seas of the North Atlantic where ships bob up and down in high, wa- high waves and heavy winds as they forge uh, to- forward in the waters between Europe and North America. And then there is the subtle, leaf-covered, babbling brook right down the street in Wampatuck State Park. It just is there. Leaves fall on it in the fall. It just kind of bubbles and flows along. All of this, the majestic and the minuscule, created in the wisdom of Christ, the Creator. Consider the sparrow that awakens you in the morning with her faint but pleasant chirps as she welcomes the arrival of daylight in her nest, which she built of tiny leaves and sticks, all of them also created in the perfect wisdom of Christ. And then consider not just the little sparrow in her little nature, but then consider something gigantic like the 4,000-pound hippopotamus that roams sub-Saharan Africa, can run as fast as 20 miles per hour and can jump in water and swim with the force and the swiftness of a behemoth like those mentioned in the book of Job. These are but two of the millions of different animals. I heard this week that there are 800,000 known and identified species of insects alone, all created in the wisdom and the hand of Christ. And yet, let's look at this again. Look, verse 16. For by Him all things were created. We've done earth, things in heaven and on earth. That doesn't even include things in heaven. Look at that. Let's consider the heavens, the skies above us, the sun that rises each morning with its dazzling splendor as it comes up over the Atlantic and like a strong man runs its course with joy until it sets and you see one of those dynamic sunsets where the clouds are lit up in the varying hues of pink and purple and orange and the sky burns with magnificence as it testifies to the one who created it. What about the moon that in the perfect wisdom and precision of God reflects the light of the sun upon the earth and is so perfectly placed that it softly causes the tides to rise and fall at the beaches day by day. And so as you walk along the beach and the waves just kind of rush up and touch your feet and your ankles and then go back, all of that because of the precise placement of the moon put there by the word of Christ. And then there are the stars at the farthest reaches of the universe that NASA pours all of her millions and billions and trillions of dollars and thousands of man hours into learning about. The stars that are even beyond the ones that light up our night sky. You think about our night sky. When you go outside and it's dark and it's a clear night and you can see your breath in the air, you're standing maybe in your backyard, you realize how absolutely small you are as the roughly 5,000 stars that are visible to the human eye light up the night sky. 
But listen to this. That's just 5,000 out of the 100,000 million stars that make up the Milky Way, our galaxy, our neighborhood in the universe. 100,000 million. That's a scientific number, apparently. It's not like a three-year-old's number. I'm not misspeaking that. 100,000 million. But then you go out from the Milky Way and there are millions upon millions upon millions of other galaxies. Not stars, but galaxies like our Milky Way. Each of those having millions and hundreds of millions of stars as well. And that's just what scientists have been able to deduce to this point. And all of it put there in the wisdom and power of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. When last did you take your eyes off your TV or smartphone and go outside and get a reminder of how utterly small you are? I I don't do that nearly enough. Have you pondered how the wonder of creation speaks to the wisdom of the Creator. Remember the most recent blood supermoon? We seem to have those weekly now. Um, and it was, I, I saw, I actually saw on my phone, on, on an app, on Facebook, that people were talking about how impressive it was outside. So I went outside, and I looked, and it was impressive. And so I got, did what everybody's supposed to do, and tried to take a picture with my phone, and then I realized it wasn't a good picture. And so I just put it in my pocket and just looked at that thing looked at that thing and just beheld the glory of the one who creates that. This morning, whenever I'm preaching, I will go early on Sunday morning to a beach in Situate and park my car overlooking the ocean where the sun is starting to rise. And I park there and this morning it struck me, I'm, going, I'm looking over my notes one last time and it strikes me that 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 the Christ I'm about to proclaim, He is about to put on this show right before me as the sun comes up. Brothers and sisters, walks in nature are good for your soul. Open your eyes, let creation stir your heart to ponder the power and the wisdom of this Christ. I haven't even gotten into protons, neutrons, electrons, atoms, molecules, bacteria, viruses, cells, and tiny particles that are so small, complex, and powerful, and they're all invisible to the naked eye, and I can't really say much about them because I didn't pay attention in science class. (laughs) So we'll just leave them there. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things created, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. I think the invisible there is likely connected with the spiritual forces that Paul references uh, in just a second. Paul references spiritual forces that the Colossians were, were tempted to be led astray by. So these, these spiritual forces, so we'll pick up verse 16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And then he says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So we might read that, and we might think thrones like a throne a king sits on. Or powers like maybe those who are in power, or rulers like government authorities, or authorities like authorities. Um, we, we might think of that in a worldly sense, but what Paul is alluding to here is, is, is spiritual forces. Spiritual forces. These were spiritual forces that were likely, some ways, attracting attention from the church in Colossae. See, they felt they had Jesus, but there was this perhaps greater spiritual power available through these other spiritual forces. 
You know, if you're learning about Christianity or, or learning about Jesus, um, it's not uncommon. Our, our day is a lot like the day here that the church at Colossae was hearing about. Our day is a lot like that. See, we, we, we love spirituality. And when I say we, I mean like culturally. Like, like we, we talk much of spirituality and, and people want to engage with their, their spiritual self. And uh, so, so we pursue things that, that will help us uh, uh, maybe deepen our perspective or, or, or maybe give you a, a, a clearer mind or, or give you, give you like, like just more balance and understanding in life. And, and um, the danger in that is that, is that we'll, we'll, we'll view things, view spiritual matters as something that comes alongside and, and, suppl- and, and supplements what I'm doing in my life. So it supplements... The, the person that I already am. So I have my job, I have my, I have my family, I have my hobbies, I have my, my spiritual life, and so I bring this in and, and it supplements it. And what Paul is saying here is, well, well where, where you want these spiritual forces to, to, to do something else for you, to, to scratch an itch that you have spiritually, what Paul is saying is he's presenting the supremacy of Christ because he's showing you Christ does not come, Christ does not reign in order to supplement your life, in order to, to fit in with other things. Christ reigns over your life and draws you to himself, invites you to come to himself uh, so, that, so that you be, see and, and behold the totality of him, not him coming in and getting part of you. And we're, we're prone to this. As Christians, we, we are not immune from, from kind of bringing Christ down and engaging with other spiritual matters. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual things that are, that are maybe difficult to understand, maybe angels or demons or uh, even other just spiritual forces, that can be confusing, it can be awkward. We don't really know what to do sometimes with them, but sometimes we can get mixed up in them. Sometimes we can get mixed up spiritually, even as followers of Christ, and thinking that there are angels or spiritual powers that we can uh, uh, pray to come to us or to rely upon us as like our guardian angel or something. Sometimes you'll see someone who goes through a very difficult situation or, 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 or maybe they survive a, a tragic event and they'll say something like, I know that so-and-so was with me in that. Brother or sister, may I encourage you that... that you have the God of the universe who spoke all of this into existence with you. He alone is exclusively capable to care for you every single step. So don't feel like you need that extra protection. Don't feel like you need that extra, extra force. Just look at Christ here. And know and see as we continue to unpack this, His goodness to His people. So these spiritual beings are forces, demons are angels, forces for good, whatever the Colossians believed about them. Paul is saying, whatever they are, Jesus created them. He created them, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And then he says, all things were created for him, by him and for him. And then, look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Here we are, we're seeing all things. Before all things, in him all things hold together. In his power, he sustains all all of his creation. So he creates, then he sustains his creation. He keeps it going. Now, it's one thing to think that he created it, put it all there at some point in the past, and then boom, it's there and he walks away. 
Kind of like some kind of deism or something. But then it's even more mind-blowing to think that each and every day, each and every moment, he sustains and keeps his creation going, and he is the one that holds it all together, from the winds that sweep at hurricane force at the top of Mount Washington, to the steady rainfall in the tropical rainforest in Central America, to the pleasant snowfall that coats a tiny village in the Swiss Alps with a fresh coat of snow. He holds all of that together. Not one flake of snow falls outside of his domain. When the Dow Jones rises or falls, when the Fed adjusts interest rates, when the markets in Shanghai or or Europe open and close for trading, when corporate boardrooms meet, when startups are formed in a garage, when inventions are patented, it is him that holds all things together. When the sun rises on the city, the sun is rising, planes are taking off and landing at Logan, cars are commuting up the expressway, trains are buzzing, ferries are traversing through harbors, people walking along sidewalks, mothers packing lunch for their kids, doctors caring for patients, employees sitting down at their desks, deliveries being made, the engine of the day begins, and who is it that holds all of it together as if there is some form of pattern or organization to it? It is Christ. When civil engineers and technological geniuses build incredibly innovative transportation systems so as to facilitate tens of millions of people moving throughout a megacity multiple, t- multiple times a day, and, and, or when a farmer in the rural American South drives down a dusty road in order to get to the feed store at the one intersection in town, Christ holds it all together if it's moving tens of millions of people through a city a day or just that one farmer driving down the road. He holds even the, the dust that that farmer's tires kick up in its trail. He holds it all together. When the United Nations General Assembly meets and they do their business with ambassadors and representatives from global governments all gathered, or when tribal leaders deep in the Amazon rule over their tribes, he holds all things together. And when you consider the human body, 200 plus bones, various tendons, muscles, everything else that holds us together, he is the one that gives breath to our lungs and gives grace to our hearts. Now, I suppose that there might be some of you who hear this and say, okay, I see it, I think, in Scripture. This is a question, what I'm about to say is a question I would have asked before. Um, I see it, but let me, let me ask a question here. Okay, he created it all, he holds it all together, perfect power, perfect wisdom, that's what you're saying, Stephen, and I would say, yes, that is what I'm saying, and I believe that's what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter what Stephen's saying, it's what Paul's saying. Um, and so I, I'm with you on that, Stephen, but let me ask you, so what about when the beautiful rainfall produces a devastating flood? What about when the government, of, government authorities abuse their power and put their own people in concentration camps? What about the tiny bacterium that is complex in nature and maybe reveals the wisdom of her creator, creator but produces a deadly disease that spreads rapidly? What about the myriad of terrible things that wait just around the corner? We don't know what the cover of the Boston Globe is going to say tomorrow, next month, or next year, but we can all agree that there will probably be sufficient enough bad news that is still to come. Or what about simply the fact that sometimes your life seems miserable? What about the fact that maybe uh, you got bad news, uh, maybe a high school student, you got bad news from the admissions department at the school that you really wanted to go to? Where was Christ in holding that together? You prayed for it, you yearned for it, you wanted it, you don't know why it didn't happen. Or maybe your body is breaking down physically and all of the common grace of medicine, all the common grace of medical technology doesn't seem to be working for you. Where is Christ in holding that together? See, whether it be broken hearts, broken dreams, a broken world, they all have a way of revealing the fact that for all the splendor of creation, there's a dark, gritty reality that seeps deeply into our souls, deep into human experience, that 
unknowingly cries out to our maker and sustainer, but we need more. And he knows that. He knows that. Look with me again. I'm going to read verses 15 to 17 again to set the stage for us as we enter into verse 18. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And now enter verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the Supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. I want you to see something here as we enter into verses 18 to 20. Look at verse 15. It says, He's the image of the invisible God. Then it says, The firstborn over all creation. And then look at verse 18. He's the head of the body of the church. The beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Okay, so he's the firstborn over all of his creation, and he's the firstborn from among the dead. So he's, he, he, he rules over death. He has the authority over death. He has defeated death. And so, so there's similarity there between verse 15 and 18. And then there's similarity to verse uh, 17. He's before all things. All things hold together. Uh, and then verse 20. Well, verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in him, And then through him, verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So he created, he upholds, he sustains all things. And yet, as creation cries out, we need more. He is the firstborn from the dead that defeats death. And he he reconciles all things to himself through the cross of Christ. You see those similarities there. It's kind of like creation in verses 15 to 17, new creation in verses 18 to 20. So, what I think we see here is that, that this is heady, but I think we can all handle it here. Christ reigns over his creation today, and he is establishing and also bringing about a new creation. And these two are on tracks together that we, we, we can't fully wrap our minds around, yet we see in creation around us a mystery that is far greater than we can fathom. He reigns over the world, yet the world groans in pains of needing intervention. He reigns, yet the world groans. And yet, as creation groans, new creation grows up through it. So, he creates and rules, and new creation is coming up through it by the power of Christ. And how do the, what's the epicenter of Christ bringing about this new creation? Verse 19. For God was pleased to have his, all, his, all, all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through His blood shed on the cross. I want you to notice something with me in verse 19. Look at this. Paul's been using real lofty language. Just, just, yeah, just lofty. Not not real emotional. Not real uh, 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 descriptive of what's what's on minds, what's what's going through heads here. But then you get to verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. 
doesn't say that God was God reluctantly had all his fullness dwell in Christ. It doesn't say that God hesitatingly sent all his fullness to dwell in Christ, that through him we might be reconciled to him. It said God was pleased. God was resolved. God is resolved to bring about full redemption of his creation. And Christ came so that through him he might reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. This word reconcile, we think of it like to reconcile two parties who don't see eye to eye and kind of on the right track there, but to reconcile to himself is to bring creation into full harmony with himself. So he is reconciling all that you see wrong with this world to himself through Christ and through his cross. That is a bold claim. So buildings collapsing, hurricanes hitting, diseases and famines spreading, global conflicts escalating, wherever they, uh, relational conflicts that are devastating, Sicknesses tormenting your body, broken dreams and unfulfilled expectation, and yes, at the epicenter, my sin and your sin running roughshod because it's ingrained in our very DNA. Where is Jesus in that? He is so resolved to reconcile us and his creation to himself that he goes to the cross and look at verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The reconciling power of Jesus over creation. In his death, he atoned for sin. He endured the very worst that the creation that he spoke into existence, that he sustained by the word of his power, he endured the very worst that it could give. In his resurrection, he inaugurated a new creation in which death is no more. And in his present reign, he is guiding the hands of time to this point when creation will exist in full reconciliation with him. It's just mind-blowing. The cross, more than just, I say just, it's a significant thing in, in, in atoning for my sins. But the mind-blowing supremacy of Christ shows it's just, just boom, much far, far greater than that as he bursts, redeems, reconciles all of his creation through his cross. This reconciling power of Jesus over creation sets hearts and lives and peoples towards him. And it also sets his creation toward him in perfect submission to him and in complete accord with his redeeming purposes. This is why we sing at Christmas and at other times, I requested we sing today, Joy to the World. Listen to these words about the coming of Christ. And hear the reconciling of creation to himself. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Uh, He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is singing that Jesus is coming is a powerful act through which the whole of creation, sins and sorrows and even thorns on the rose bush, will be no more. Wow. We marvel. God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. To bring all things ultimately in line with his creating purposes. That all of his creation and all of his people, all who look upon Christ in repentance and belief, who look upon his cross in their place, all who do that 
join with all of His creation in beholding and enjoying the supremacy of her Creator. So we marvel at Jesus' total supremacy in all things and then let us resolve to remain steadfast in His sufficiency for us in the Gospel. We marvel at Jesus' total supremacy in all things. And now as we conclude, let us resolve, let you, South Shore Baptist Church, resolve to remain steadfast in His sufficiency for us in the Gospel. So Paul's aim here is to lift up Christ as high as his human arms can possibly lift. As high as the pen that he's writing with can possibly take it. To lift him up as far as he can there. And then to use that then, in light of that, to urge the church at Colossae towards continued faithfulness in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Continued belief in the sufficiency of the Gospel for their life and ministry. And we get into these last verses... As I read them in just a second, look at how Paul's language changes. And he addresses, addresses the Colossians in a, in a pastoral manner. And he applies this rich, verse 15 to 20, to them in verses 21 to 23. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel. This is the Gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So Paul presents this picture of the church as people who have been brought from death to life. You have been reconciled in His death from the kingdom of darkness, and you've been brought into the kingdom of light. This picture of these two tracks of creation, old creation, new creation, growing by the reconciling power of Christ in His cross. So He's brought you. He's brought you there by His grace. You who were evil, alienated from God, were enemies in your minds from God. He is taking you to the end of verse 22 to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now that's more than just a spirituality that supplements your life. That's a supernatural, new life-giving power, life-transforming, life-changing, life-setting on course for eternity to glory in Christ kind of power. But then he drops on him verse 23. He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm. Now, he says this, if you continue in your faith. He says this, the the language here, the original language, it's it's a word that that conveys a manner of certainty. He's not saying this like, if, I don't know, 50-50, will you continue in the faith? Will you won't? No, it's it's, it's a matter of certainty, but it's a matter of spurring them on. It's a matter of, I know this is going to happen, but devote yourself to Christ and His gospel. He doesn't give any indication that he thinks they won't, but he does give a warning to all of us who would be led to trust in spiritual power other than Christ, or be led to turn our eyes off of Christ and his gospel. Paul describes continuing the faith as, how does he say, if, if, if continuing your faith, if you are established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. 
So in light of the Christ we just beheld together in verses 15 to 20, how do we remain established and firm, not moving from this gospel? Two, two points, two ways we do this. First of all, we just make it a habit to continue to hear the gospel. Make it a habit to meditate upon the gospel. Look at Paul's words in verse 23. You continue in the faith. This is the gospel you what? Heard. You see that in verse 23? This is the gospel that you heard. Continue to hear the gospel. Hear the gospel in your reading of God's Word. Hear the gospel in your conversations with other believers. Speak the gospel to one another. Uh, Make it a regular occurrence to discuss the gospel and how it influences or speaks to a situation that you are walking through or that a brother or sister in the church is walking through. Make it a regular habit to worship and sing of this supreme Christ and hear in preaching of the sufficiency of the gospel again and again. And we need to hear the sufficiency of the gospel. We need to hear the supremacy of Christ again and again because we are all in danger of not believing it again and again. And as we are continuing grow, continually growing in the gospel, we recognize that it is the gospel itself that is our vehicle towards completion of the fullness of our salvation and being in his presence. Look at this. Look at verse um, 22. But now he has reconciled you. So in your sins, verse 21, you had your sins. He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So in his reconciling, in Christ's death, this begins this work that he is committed to, to getting you to this point of holiness and without blemish and totally free from accusation as you stand before the throne of your maker. The gospel is the vehicle. Meditating upon the gospel, hearing the gospel, reflecting on the gospel is the vehicle by which you remain steadfast in the gospel. So make it a habit to hear the gospel, and lastly, make it a habit to proclaim the gospel. Recognize that your salvation is for a purpose greater than just you. It's for the glory of Christ over all of His creation. Keep the glory of Christ and the centrality of the gospel at the heart of your preaching, your shepherding, your discipling, your worshiping, your conversing, your praying, and your evangelizing. Brothers and sisters, one of the best ways to continue to keep the gospel at the forefront of your mind is to continue to share it with those who need to hear it. As Christ's church, the greatest thing that you need is Christ and Christ alone. As Christ's church, the greatest thing you can take to the world around you is Christ and Christ alone. The two are not opposed to one another. The gospel is enough for us going to situate, and it's enough for you to go to your next door neighbor. Paul concluded this section reminding the church at Colossae of the sufficiency of the gospel, of the sufficiency of all the work that Christ accomplished in His power and he says at the end of verse 23 this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which i paul have become a servant paul served the church at Colossae because of the supremacy of christ and the sufficiency of the gospel it has been a joy for me to serve you i hope out of the supremacy of christ and the sufficiency of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, keep Christ there. Meditate upon His supremacy. Trust in His sufficiency. And we will rejoice together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You for Christ. We reflect upon His goodness and His glory. We reflect upon the power by which somehow 
that cross not only earned salvation, but began the work of reconciling all creation to yourself. So Lord, help my brothers and sisters here to never lose sight of such a powerful gospel. And to never lose sight of such a powerful Christ. Such a glorious Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.